past three years he had done nothing but campaign beyond the Rhine and Danube. Vitalianus had done well out of the regime. Promoted first to governor of Mauritania Caesariensis, then to deputy Praetorian prefect. It was a remarkable achievement for an equestrian from a backwater of Italy, a man with few significant backers. A member of the Second Order should legitimately aspire to nothing higher, and Vitalianus continued to serve the regime diligently. The endless court cases that awaited him today, and almost every day, were only the start. With the majority of the Praetorians accompanying the field army, it had proved difficult for Vitalianus to maintain order in Rome. The remaining one thousand men were not enough to disperse the crowds occasioned by certain arrests, or to clear the mobs occupying those temples whose treasures were to be requisitioned to help pay for the war. Efficiency would be served if he could issue orders to the six thousand men of the urban cohorts as well, but that would never happen. The very first emperor, Augustus, had separated the command of the troops stationed in Rome. An equestrian prefect led the Praetorians, while a senatorial prefect of the city controlled the urban cohorts. One officer watched the other, and the emperor could be reassured that no individual could seize the eternal city, at least not without an armed struggle. To be sure, things had been better once Sabinus had replaced Pupinus as prefect of the city. The urban cohorts and the Praetorians might have no love for each other, but under firm leadership together they could contain the turbulent plebs Urbana. The hand of Maximinus lay heavy on the city, but the northern war demanded sacrifices, and so far the emperor had not struck down those who served him loyally. Safety lay in prompt obedience no matter what the order. Three or four more years and Vitalianus could withdraw from the fray. A scream of gulls brought Vitalianus back to his surroundings. The sky was lightning. It was time to take up the reins. He adjusted his sword belt, the very visible badge of his office, hitched up his tunic and walked up the stairs to where his secretary and two Praetorians waited. Together, they set off through the heart of the palace. Apart from a handful of servants and guards, there was no one in the main imperial audience chamber. The echoing near emptiness revealed its more than human scale. Three stories of columns soared up a hundred feet to where the great beams of cedar supporting the wide span of the ceiling were lost in shadow. At the far end of the hall, The gathering light outlined the monumental door through which an emperor would appear to the press of his subjects, assembled below on the palace forecourt. Opposite the opening, a seated statue of Maximinus occupied the apse, where the living ruler would sit enthroned to receive the senate and favoured petitioners, should he ever return to Rome. Along the walls, the gods in marble gazed down from their niches at their adamantine colleague. Vitalianus performed adoration, bowing his head and blowing a kiss from his fingertips. Suddenly he wondered what it would be like to hold court in this hall. Not to bow, but to receive obeisance. To be lord of all you surveyed. Two emperors had risen from the equestrian order. As a child, Maximinus had herded goats. Vitalianus's mind shied away. Even to entertain such thoughts was treason. A careless word or gesture, something muttered in your sleep, any of them, could lead to an accusation. From there, events would run their course. 
a closed carriage to the north, the pincers and claws wielded by skilled hands until you begged for the executioner's sword, your head set on a pike, the crows feasting on your eyes. He straightened up and marched purposefully towards the door to the neighbouring basilica. When he entered, the hum of conversation died. The first petitioners had been admitted. This hall was smaller. Twin Corinthian colonnades running down the long walls further encroached on the floor space. Among those waiting, he saw Timetheus. As he marched down the nearer colonnade, Vitalianus brought the case to mind. The little Greek was embroiled in a private dispute over an inheritance. Timetheus was in charge of the grain supply. His opponent was a leading senator. All things being equal, neither was a man one would choose to alienate. The things were